0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: The middle of essay number eight, and the bottom of page 389. And he's explaining the importance of prayer, especially today even more so than in previous generations. And that he's lamenting how the synagogues are trying to accommodate people who have to rush through prayer, have to rush to work. So the whole minion ends up rushing, and no one prays. He says, be preferable if the minion, the congregation prays properly, and let those who have to rush, let them rush. No one will hold it against them. You have to rush, so pray quickly and rush, but don't hijack the communal prayer because prayer whether you hold it's biblical or whether you hold it's rabbinic but when you pray today you are fulfilling um, a biblical an essential biblical obligation which is the obligation to love Hashem we don't just say the Shema but the blessings of the Shema help us to accomplish the Shema. What is the mitzvah in the Shema? Love Hashem with all your heart. So you're not just mouthing the words. You actually have to experience that love. How do you experience that love? And that's why the rabbi has made the blessings before the Shema. Because they're not usual blessings as the uh, or the medieval rabbis point out, many of them point out, it's not a regular, even though it's called the blessings of the Shema, it's not like a regular blessing. Before you do a mitzvah, you make a blessing over the mitzvah, to shake the luluf, to eat the matzah. We don't make a blessing. Thank you, Hashem, for commanding us. Blessed are you for commanding us to read the Shema. There's no mention of the Shema. The blessings of the Shema help prepare us to psych us up, to prepare us to be able to accomplish the love of Hashem, to feel the the experience that love of Hashem. And this is a fundamental mitzvah in the Torah that leads to all the other mitzvot, because it's only when you love Hashem, this is the motivation, the energy, the drive that gives you the energy to do all the other mitzvot. If there's no love for Hashem, then Judaism could become very burdensome and tiresome. And a pain in the neck and, and, and interfere with your life and you resent it. and So it, it, this is what sustains. It's the love that sustains the whole of Judaism. When exactly do you accomplish this love? Which part of the day are you focusing on accomplishing this love? During davening. That's, that's what the meaning of prayer is. Not just to pray for your needs. It's a time when you're accomplishing a biblical obligation which is the primary biblical obligation which leads to all the other obligations all other 630 mitzvot which is the mitzvah of the love of hashem so that's why it's critical to daven properly not just to rush through it to mouth the words you know then it just becomes another obligation <laughs> on top of all the other duties on top of all the other obligations you have another obligation okay another another pain in the neck It's important to be able to give it the space and the time that it needs to focus. You know, you can't rush things. When you eat, you have to eat properly. You have to chew. And uh, people who know anything about health know that chewing is the most important part of eating. You can eat the healthiest food in the world, but if you swallow it down, some people just swallow their food. It does nothing for you. On the contrary, it becomes totally counterproductive. It just gives you a stomachache. Your stomach can't digest it. You get nothing out of that eating. Chewing and taking a piece and putting the fork down. Stop and wait and chew it and chew it well until you're done and then pick up your fork. Instead of rushing through the eating, that's critical. Even in today's day and age, when everything is so rushed, but there's some things you can't rush so in order to truly daven you have to, you have to give it the time that it needs you have to give it the space you know when you're having a conversation with someone you have to give them a chance to answer you don't ask a question and then a second later you impatiently start yelling and screaming and interrupting I mean, give the person a chance to, to get a word out <laughs> you get a word edgewise you have to give it the space Davening needs that time. So the davening has to be nice and calm. And that's the only way you can accomplish this love. And the question is, the classical question is, how can you command someone to love Hashem? Either you do or you don't. The Magid answers, there's two answers. One answer is, that you already love. It's innate. You're born with that love. Every Jew is born with a love for Hashem. It's a hidden love. The commandment to love Hashem is to activate this love. It's like a pilot. You have to turn, turn the flame up. You have to reveal this love. You have to allow this love to emerge. But since that love is there, it's not even a question. I'm not asking you to create something that's not there. But I'm not a religious person and I don't feel, I'm not uh, so religious and I don't feel religiosity. You're a Jew, you have an neshama, you have that love for Hashem, it's a dear. But it could be very deep down, submerged. So the mitzvah is to allow this love to emerge. And that's why it says v'yahavta could be read two ways. V'yahavta means you shall love. V'yahavta means you will love. Not it's a commandment, it's a question. We're commanding you to love. Inevitably, v'yahavta, you will come to love. How could you be so certain that you will love Hashem? How could Hashem say to each and every Jew, v'yahavta, you will certainly reach a level of love for Hashem? Because you have it, it's within you, it's there. Since it's your core, since it's your essence, inevitably that core and essence will emerge. not even a question. It's not if. It's the question of when. But it's up to us. How do we activate it? So the, the Magadim, explains, and this is also what the Rambam says, that the mitzvah is, the commandment is to meditate and to reflect. Shema Yisrael, you close your eyes, and you meditate and reflect on the greatness of Hashem and the unity of Hashem. And Hashem Echad is no other reality but Hashem. That will awaken the love within you. It's like the fire is there. just have to blow in it. And if you blow in it, it will, it, will, it will fan the flame. I don't have to create the flame. I just have to fan the flame. So by focusing in it and meditating and reflecting, you will awaken that love.
0: Regarding the love latent in the heart of all Israel by birth and nature, there can be no command at all, for it already exists. Rather, the command is that this latent love be revealed. Moreover, that it be felt not only by the godly soul, but by the animated soul as well, which previously did not harbor it at all. This is apparent to the understanding.
1: We have two souls within us. We have the godly soul. And then we have the ego soul, the natural soul. The godly soul naturally loves godliness. Because it is godly. It responds to godliness. It responds to egolessness, selflessness, the kindness. That's its essence. But then you have the ego soul. Ego nature, the animal soul. Natural soul. The ego doesn't respond to godliness. The ego doesn't love God. The ego loves itself. I love myself. Me, myself, and I. You know, they say an egotist is a self-made man who loves his Creator. (laughs) When two egotists egotists meet, it's an eye for an eye. (laughs) And that's what the commandment is. The challenge is to love Hashem. When the soul is in heaven, the soul doesn't have to be commanded to love Hashem. It naturally loves Hashem. In heaven, everything is transparent naturally the soul loves Hashem. But when the soul comes into the body and we interface with the body, with our ego selves, our natural selves, how do I get my body to love Hashem? Because the goal is not just for the godly soul to love Hashem. The godly soul already loves Hashem. You don't need a commandment. It comes naturally. You have to get out of the way and and it will naturally emerge and surface. Like you mentioned earlier, Shabbos that's the beauty of Shabbos Shabbos is about don't do this and don't do that 39 work categories of work creative work which you stop doing in other words get out of the way and allow what's on the inside to emerge into the surface the holiness just you don't have to create the holiness Shabbos is holy on its own you just have to get out of the way six days a week your ego, your making, your creating, your doing you remove the, all of that and naturally, the holiness of Shabbos just emerges. You don't have to command the godly soul to love Hashem. Because the godly soul is a piece of Hashem. It's like, it's like you love yourself. The godly soul is godly. So the godly soul naturally loves godliness and loves Hashem. The commandment is, the definition of a commandment is, it's like, do you give a commandment on yourself? Do I have to command my arm to move?
0: Some people do
1: have. They're sick. Yeah. That means they're paralyzed, That's that means right. something is wrong. It's not healthy. Yeah. But a healthy person, do you have to command, you think your arm is religious, that it obeys your command? Oh, my arm is very religious, ultra-Orthodox. <laughs> it listens, right. I want to move, and it moves. It asks no questions, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> very pious. He's <laughs> not pious, That not religious. The arm is inseparable from your soul. Your body is inseparable from your soul. You're completely unself conscious. So you can't command yourself. The word commandment by definition is when I command someone outside of me. If I command and I move my arm, that doesn't make me a king. <laughs> if I command you and you move your arm, that makes me a king. <laughs> commandment by definition is there's something outside of you, and you're listening, and you're obeying. So the definition of a commandment is a commandment to love Hashem. Who is Hashem commanding exactly? You're commanding the godly soul to love Hashem. The godly soul is one with Hashem. It's inseparable with Hashem. It's like, it's like the arm. It's, 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 it's one. So it's, it's, that's not a commandment. The definition of a commandment is that part of you that feels separate and apart, the ego, you feel independent from Hashem. And Hashem is commanding you. I want you, the part of you that feels separate from Hashem, independent, your self-made man, your self-sufficient, your natural self, your ego self, and I want you to love Hashem. That's the challenge. That's the mitzvah. That's the difficulty. That how do you transfer that love from the godly soul that it should impact, the natural soul, the natural soul should also come to love Hashem, should develop a love for Hashem. So it's not enough that the godly soul loves Hashem. We have to reach the animal soul. And that's the difference between the first part of the Shema, the Shema Yisrael, when you cover your eyes, and you say Shema Yisrael, Hashem alakin Hashem and the Jew is ready to give up his life for Hashem, and you unify Hashem, God is one, there's only one reality, there's only one being. Nothing else really exists, there is no ego, there is no I. That's wonderful. But which part of you understands that? Which part of you relates to that, connects with that? Which part of you is inspired by that? Only one part, your godly soul. You talk about selflessness and egolessness and self-sacrifice and becoming one with Hashem and there's no ego and there's no separation and there's no I. The godly soul gets very excited. But the animal soul is left cold. What are you talking about? I is the most comfortable thing in the world. It's the most natural thing in the world. Everything is I. Everything is about I. It's relentless. So the animal soul is untouched. So then we say, then we continue, now it's time to love Hashem with all your heart, with both of your hearts. It's time to get the animal soul also... To feel Allah for Hashem. That's the mitzvah. That's the goal. It's not enough to silence the animal soul, to silence the ego, to suppress the ego, to suppress that harsh human nature and to overcome. It's not enough to, to break, to break temptation, to break your body, to break yourself and, you know, tune in, tune out and just go off on a mountaintop and just become spiritual and godly and holy become a monk and a nun and go off to heaven, that's not, that's not the goal the goal is to get every part of you to love Hashem the good, the bad, the ugly to engage every part of you that even your, your, your thrill seeking, fun seeking and hot blooded self to also come to love Hashem develop a feeling and a, uh, an attraction and a connection with Hashem. That's the mitzvah of loving Hashem. And that's the purpose of prayer. That's why prayer is so important. Prayer, and prayer as is explained in the first part of the Tanya, that prayer, you have must use, move your lips when you pray. Why is it important to move your lips when you pray? And if you don't move your lips, you don't mouth the words, you don't say the words of prayer, you haven't prayed. Why can't I just close my eyes and meditate? Go into deep, deep meditation, deep, deep concentration. Go to a place that's beyond words, place of pure meditation, a level that's beyond words, that's so soulful, and higher levels of consciousness, and feel one with the universe, <laughs> Why is it so important to mouth words and to pray? Actually, a strange sight. You walk into a shul, we take it for granted, but for a stranger, it's a very strange sight. Everyone everyone is sitting and talking to themselves. And even in the silent prayer, it's silent because you're praying silently, but everyone, you must move your lips. Everyone's moving their lips. Why is that so essential? Because this is the whole point of prayer. The whole point of prayer, the rabbis say, the prayer corresponds to the animal sacrifices. The whole point of prayer is to reach the animal within us. To reach the ego, natural self within us. That our natural self should also come to love Hashem. So if you're not engaging the body, if you're not moving your lips, you're not engaging the body, if the love doesn't reach your ego self, you're just suppressing that whole part of you and you're just running off. That's not prayer. The godly soul already loves Hashem. What have you accomplished? You're not not accomplishing anything. The godly soul loves Hashem. The godly soul is perfect. Okay, you're revealing that love. But what's the point, what's the purpose of revealing that love? The ultimate goal is by revealing that love that it should affect the animal soul. Because the animal soul responds, it's like an animal. So it responds to emotions. The animal soul can't relate to abstractions. You talk about God and godliness and egolessness and the unity of God and nothing exists besides God. It's very deep and very profound. And the animal soul is completely glazed over. It doesn't know what you're talking about, can't relate to what you're talking about. Couldn't care less. But the animal soul does relate to emotions. It's a a hot blood itself. And when the godly soul is on fire, when you reveal the godly soul's love for Hashem, and you fan the flames, and it becomes a full-fledged emotion, now you've grabbed the attention of the animal soul. Now the animal soul is paying attention. Oh, this I like. Passion, love, excitement, thrill. This, this energy, this I can relate to, this I love, this is what I'm looking for in life. I'm looking for passion, I'm looking for love, I'm looking for excitement, I'm looking for thrill. I had no idea that something godly could, build so, could be so exciting and thrilling. But I'm interested, I'm curious to find out more about it. Because I want, I want some of that energy. I love this energy. I see the godly soul is on fire. Wow, I, I want that, some of that fire. So now you can educate and you can start harnessing this energy, start, you know, harnessing the animal, turning it around and guiding that energy, the animalistic energy, focusing and harnessing it towards loving Hashem and getting excited about doing godly things and connecting with godliness and acts of goodness and kindness and tzedakah, etc., and mitzvot and Torah. But so this is the whole purpose. The whole purpose of prayer. That's the mitzvah. That's the mitzvah of loving Hashem. That your animal soul should love Hashem. You should love Hashem. Every part of you should love Hashem. Your body, your physical, your natural self should come to love Hashem. And that takes effort. It doesn't happen on its own. It doesn't happen naturally. You have to work on it. You don't have to work to be selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed. It doesn't take any work. You don't have to go to school for that. You don't need any education for that. It yeah. natural to 7 billion people. But education is to learn to be egoless, to learn to become godly. That's education. That's prayer. That's when this change happens. That's the furnace. That's the fire. That's when you, you take the hard metal and you put it into the fire. The harsh ego nature, harsh characteristic traits, which is unchanging and unbudging and unyielding. But when you smelt it in the fire, it's soft. You can shape it. You can form it. You can make a mensch out of it. That's when, you, that's when we become a mensch. That's when we change. That's when we, that's when we become refined. That's where you take the raw hide of the animal and you turn it into fine, smooth leather. That's when you work it out. That's why prayer is called avodah. Avodah means it's hard work. So this is the fulfillment of the biblical commandment to love Hashem. That your natural soul should love Hashem. Your ego soul should love Hashem and that takes work that doesn't just happen by, by rushing through the prayer mouthing the words that's just an obligation a duty okay let me look at the watch come on come on quicker the canter's too slow 15 minutes so long the whole prayer 15 minutes come on let's see who can reduce it to it's like the, the race who can run the, the what's it called the, the minute the mile what's it called the, mile, less than the minute. Mile a minute you know who can the, the express train <laughs> you understand what prayer is, you have to relax. You're trying to accomplish something. You're trying to... And this is a biblical command. This is the, the soul of prayer. Whether technically praying every day is biblical or rabbinic, it doesn't matter. In prayer you're fulfilling this biblical commandment, essential commandment, to engage the whole of you, the whole person, and to develop this love for Hashem that even your animal soul could relate. Imagine running to shul with the same enthusiasm as other people run to Las Vegas. Or to Disney world, you know, this, is, this should be an excitement. And to accomplish that it takes time. You have to work on it. You can't just rush through it.
0: This is apparent to the understanding that while the love is concealed, it is still lodged within the divine soul alone. Only when it attains to a state of revelation in the animating soul is it revealed in the heart in the left chamber, the abode of the animating soul. Since this soul animates the entire body, the person as a whole will be permeated with this love.
1: Then this will lead you to do all the other mitzvot, once you feel that excitement you're excited to be Jewish, you're excited to, to do Jewish, you're excited to speak Jewish, you're excited to think Jewish, then you can lead a Jewish life. But if, if, if this is lacking, if this level of love is lacking, then it's not sustainable. In, in your daily life, you know, you, you may feel, experience a godly soul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you know, in the holidays, Pesach, when you're sitting at the Seder, when you're hearing the Ten Commandments, when you're standing at the Western Wall, when you, the day you get married, you know, certain moments. But it's, 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 it's an isolated moment. It's not real, it's not sustainable. Judaism is a way of life. Judaism is not about religious moments, you know, once in a year, once a year moments. Judaism is every day of your life, 24-7. Act like a Jew, speak like a Jew, think like a Jew. It takes a tremendous discipline. So unless you have that enthusiasm, unless you have that love and that passion, and that excitement, that thrill... It's simply not sustainable. So this is, this is critical.
0: This is the meaning of the elevation of the sparks mentioned there in Eitz Chaim and pre-Eitz Chaim in reference to prayer. Through prayer, one elevates the sparks of the holiness that fell from Tohu. And for this reason, prayer was the primary service in the period just preceding the coming of Mashiach in order to seek out and elevate the sparks, and so on.
1: So... He says that the whole purpose of life is, the whole purpose of Yiddishkeit is to elevate the sparks that are in this world. Everything in this world has a divine energy, a divine spark, and the holier the spark, the lower it falls. Like the analogy of the wall. When the wall collapses, the highest part of the wall falls farthest away from from its origin. So the holier the spark, lower it is. So the more coarse and crass the world is, it's because the sparks come from a much higher source. That's why we find that the things that are prohibited are very attractive. Mm-hmm. You know, things that are kosher are not so... Don't have, Not so compelling. Don't have such a powerful pull on us. That's why when something, when you're tempted to do something with a very powerful temptation, you have to be suspicious. Something is not kosher here. A piece of herring is not 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 that tempting. (laughs) The the more not kosher, like junk food, the junkier it is, the tastier it is, the the more the attraction. You know, junk food, junk lifestyle. The more coarse, the more crass something is, the more powerful its pull, because it comes from a very deep place. It, it has a very holy spark, a very powerful potential that got lost in the translation, and therefore it it, it comes across as something very coarse and crass. And the whole purpose of our, our mission, the whole purpose of our soul, is to elevate, to redeem to restore these sparks back, to return them back to, the, to, to their home, to their source. And therefore, as we get deeper and deeper into the exile, as the world becomes more coarse and more crass, and I think everyone will agree, everyone will agree that the world has become, you know, instead of making progress, the world is regressing level of coarseness and a level of crassness is on a level that we've never seen before to such an extent there's not even a pretense anymore of any civility or any it's just naked coarseness crassness so the truth is that the sparks the the sparks that we have to elevate today are much deeper much more powerful so yes, the generations are descending, and we're getting darker and darker and deeper and deeper into the exile. But the sparks that we have to elevate are actually much greater, much more profound, much deeper. The fact that they're able to fall so far means they come from the highest, highest level. And that's why we, at the end, the end, right before Mashiach comes, we have to elevate the holiest sparks. the the deepest sparks. And that's our mission. But how do we accomplish it today? How do we elevate these sparks? The way we elevate these sparks today is through prayer. Because if we are focused internally, if we have that focus, if we're able to accomplish it within ourselves, if something stirs in our soul and we're able to refine our natural self, our ego, ego self, ego nature. And we're able to change and to transform ourselves and harness that energy and turn it around to Hashem. That's how we elevate the, these sparks that have fallen so low into such a coarse, crass, crass place. So it's like, it's like we need a torch today. You know, To change, you need fire. But today we need more than just regular fire. We need a torch to be able to, to, to find the sparks and to be able to extract the sparks and redeem the sparks. You need a powerful, powerful torch. Because the darkness is so dark, and the coarseness and crassness, and the egotism, is to such an extent like we've never ever seen in world history. There's always been ego, but we've never seen absolute ego like we see today. There was always some form of civility, there was always some form of a discussion of something greater than myself, an ideology, something higher, a purpose, Hashem. Today it's, you know, it's just pure, absolute coarseness and crassness, absolute ego to an extent that it's still so stifling. So to be able to illuminate such darkness, you need a torch. You need a powerful light. What's that powerful light? That's prayer. So unless our prayer is heated and and illuminating and powerful and inspiring then how can we accomplish our mission? How are you going to extract these sparks? How are you going to elevate these sparks? How are you going to create a shift, a change? And instead we're ignoring prayer. And prayer is like relegated. I said, Al-Turabi is pleading in this letter. He's pleading, he's begging, he's, he's rebuking, he's saying, you know, this is critical. This is, it's not just icing on the cake. It's a nice thing to do. It's a nice detail. It's not a detail. It's everything. Because in order to accomplish our mission to elevate the sparks, it all begins with prayer. If we're not elevating the spark within ourselves, if we're not able to reach the animal soul within ourselves, we're not able to inspire ourselves, how could we change the world? It's not even possible. So this is the torch. So we have to reveal the godly soul. We have to reveal this love. And this love has to penetrate and reach the animal soul. We should also get inspired and excited. And that takes time. There's no rushing. There's no shortcuts. It's impossible. It has to be a fire. After prayer, you should walk away inspired, uplifted. You feel lighter. You feel centered, connected, focused, charged, rejuvenated. But if prayer leaves you flat, The same person you were before prayer, after prayer. Then we're back at square one. We haven't accomplished anything. So it's essential.
0: Time this may take place either through the transformation or the subjugation of the animal soul to the divine soul, as is known. For the blood is the soul, and hence the life force of man and the blood is renewed daily to
1: So he says, the ideal is transformation. But that's the goal, to transform the animal soul. The animal soul should also come to love Hashem. But that's a a tall order. You don't just get there. First you have to start with subjugation. Because, you know, the animal soul could learn to live, very happily learn to live, by listening to the godly soul. Because when the animal's soul is subjugates itself and listens to the guidelines and the directives of the godly soul, it may go kicking and screaming, but at the end of the day, it's very happy. What's there not to like? You're sitting Shabbos, you're dressed in your finest, you're not working, the television is off, the computer is off. The cell phone is off, you're having a normal meal, normal conversation, you're sitting with your family, you're sitting with your loved ones, you're sitting with your friends, you're sitting with your community, you're celebrating being Jewish 24, 24 hours, 26 hours. A club med vacation right in the heart of Manhattan it doesn't cost you a dime. A pleasure, it's life sustaining, it's life. So even though your animal soul may kicking and screaming, I would rather be elsewhere, I want to do it. It's a struggle. But it's a, str- it's a struggle that you're happy to lose. <laughs> the animal soul, okay, I lost, but I'm gaining so much. So it's a struggle, but I'm happy. It's a happy way of life. It, it works. It's wholesome. It's real. It feels great. No one regrets doing the right thing. But ideally... With the mystic, you can even reach a deeper level. You can even reach a level where you transform the animal soul. The animal soul is excited about godliness. But the animal soul also starts to learn to desire godly things. And is attracted to godly things. And is tempted to do godly things and selfless things and good things. That's That's an ideal to live for, to strive for. We may not always get there. We may only get glimpses of it. We may experience it occasionally. But the way to get there is first is subjugation. Subjugation means discipline. You don't just follow every urge. You don't just follow every instinct. You have to learn to control yourself. I want to eat junk food and I don't. I'm only going to eat organic or healthy food. Even though I'm tempted. I'm not going to eat sugar or garbage or... It takes discipline, so fine. I'm ready to discipline myself. That's subjugation, but ultimately the goal is to reach transformation, and all of this happens in in prayer. So he says, he says, because the blood is the soul, the life force, a person's life force is the blood. We're passionate, we're hot-blooded. This is our life. This is our physical life. So when you pray and you accomplish a love for Hashem and you redirect and refocus your animal soul to connect and love with Hashem, that includes everything that you've done that day. All the food that you've eaten. Because this this is part of who you are. This is what gives you your. This is what sustains you. The food that you eat is what sustains you. This is your life force. This is your. So you're you're elevating the sparks. Not only you're elevating your heart, you're elevating everything that went into your life. Everything of the day, your work, your career, the food that you eat. And it's going to say the clothes that you wear and the house that you live in. Your whole life and all the sparks, the holy sparks that are part of your world. Every one of us is apportioned a certain part of this world. So all of the holy sparks that are in every part of this world and your world comes elevated through the prayer.
0: How can you say the blood is the soul? I mean, The
1: soul, is, the, in the soul the, is in the blood. Wait.
0: You know, the soul is the neshama, the intellect, uh, the wisdom, and all of that. I mean, how do you equi- um, make equivalent the blood to the? You know, the blood is more physical. I don't know. It's more uh, sure. energizing. And here he's
1: saying the blood is
0: the soul.
1: Yeah, the Torah says, "Hadamu Anefesh, The blood, the soul is in the blood. God forbid, if you leak blood. It's the life force, Your life force. Your life force resides in the blood. The blood is what holds the life force. It's the vessel for the life force. So
0: the life force is the soul? We're we're talking about something else.
1: Well, He's talking about here the the animal soul, the the life force that gives you vitality, that gives you physical life. It's in the blood. That's why the Torah says you're not allowed to uh, drink the blood of an animal. Because the soul of the animal is in the blood. And by drinking the blood of the animal, you're going to acquire those animalistic traits. Because the, the soul, is, the blood is, contains the soul. God forbid, you leak blood, you leak your soul. It will also leak out. God forbid, you lose your soul. You know, this, it's, it's, that's, it's the life force. That's the vitality. So th- that whole... Pa, uh, you know, thrill-seeking, fun-seeking, hot-blooded self. You want to live. You want to continue to live. You want to extend your existence. You want to continue your existence. That's the ego soul, the natural soul. That's your vitality. That's your vital soul. He's
0: talking about the nefesh.
1: Yeah, he's talking about uh, the, nefesh. the nefesh. Yeah, the nefesh. Yeah. The nefesh. yeah, your physical soul. you your, yeah. not your godly soul. Yeah, yeah.
0: you no, know, I think there's a strong parallel between the animal soul and the yetzer because okay. the yetzahara tells you enjoy the world. Don't worry about it. Enjoy the world where we know that this is a temporary world and the real, the real reward is upstairs. He said, no, nah, enjoy it now. Nah, don't worry about it, you know. cool off, relax, you know. And that gets you in trouble. You got to stay on fire. It's far to keep igniting, you have to stay on fire.
1: So first you have the soul. The soul, the animal soul, is just the ego. Just the I. I want, I, I want to continue my existence. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not tempted to do anything wrong. But just the mere I, that's already, it's all about me. It's all yeah, about sustaining yeah. me, continuing me, I, I, my existence. And Yetzirah is an extension of that. Now, because of the I, well, what am I, what am I attracted to? I want instant gratification. I want junk food, junk lifestyle. The junkier it is, the tastier it is, whatever tastes good. Even I'm not thinking long term. But that's an expression. That's an expression of this animalistic soul. So the animalistic soul is very broad. It includes everything. Everything of your life is part of it. Everything that you eat, everything that you drink, your business, your career, you're going about your life, you're, you're sustaining yourself, you're continuing your existence, the clothes that you wear, it's self-expression, the home that you live in. This is all what makes you. This is, this is your ego self, your natural self. And when you take that and you transform it into a love for Hashem, you reach your animal soul that your ego natural self should come to learn to love Hashem and to focus on Hashem. And that becomes a priority, not only to your godly soul, that becomes your priority. It becomes a priority to your animal soul and to your ego soul. And you start getting excited about godly things and you want to do godly things and you live a godly life. You've elevated all the sparks. In all your clothing, in your home, in your career, in all the food that you ate. Because all of that, when in, is part of your ego self. And that's your self. That's how you express yourself in this world. The clothes that you wear, the home that you live in, the career that you establish, the food that you eat. All of this is extending yourself, expressing yourself. So when you take that self and you transform it to a love for Hashem, so you've elevated all the sparks. So the only way you can elevate these sparks is through this torch. When during prayer you're you're on fire. Because it's such a darkness, because it's so coarse and crass, you need such an intense light, such an intense powerful fire. To be able to awaken and to extract and to redeem and to elevate these sparks and to transform your life that suddenly your whole entire life becomes permeated with godliness and is elevated. and becomes holy, wholesome, refined, special, meaningful, beautiful. Instead of just living an animalistic life, just living for the moment, And every part of your life is fragmented. There's no connection between one part of your life and another part of your life. Versus in prayer, everything becomes connected. It all becomes part of your Jewishness. It becomes part of your relationship with Hashem. It's all connected with Gavis. Your life becomes unified. You've elevated and redeemed all the sparks and brought it all together. Put all the pieces of the puzzle together. And suddenly your life becomes beautiful. Harmonious. It's like you take letters and you scramble letters. What do you get? You get gibberish. You take letters that are legible, perfect letters, and you just scramble it. I have no idea what it means. It becomes like a riddle, even more than a riddle. It's, It's gibberish. That's what it means. The sparks have fallen down. The sparks fell. There was a breaking of the vessels and all the sparks, all the letters. Now it's gibberish. You look at the world, a lot of noise signifying nothing. It's gibberish. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't mean anything. There's no point. There's no purpose. Just live for the moment. It's meaningless. And then a Jew puts together the letters, Reassembles the letters, And you read the letters. It makes so much sense. It's legible. There's a rhyme, there's a reason, there's a meaning, there's a purpose, there's Hashem. We elevate the sparks. We reveal Hashem within the world. There's a theme to this world. This world is not meaningless, haphazard, disconnected. Everything is connected. There's, There's one unifying theme my life to this world Hashem Echad, God is one then the world becomes suddenly a garden of Eden it's like the puzzle all comes together, the pieces come together now beautiful, it's a beautiful world instead of being a jungle suddenly the world becomes beautiful wholesome blessed elevated inspired. That's what a Jew does with his life. And especially in today's day and age. Because we are faced with the ultimate challenge. When the world has become so discombobulated and so dark and so confusing and so disconnected and so jarring and so coarse and crass and absolute ego and absolute arrogance and nihilistic, and a Jew comes along in this world, lives a Jewish life, speaks like a Jew, acts like a Jew, thinks like a Jew. And suddenly the world becomes coherent. You reveal Hashem. But the only way to do this is through prayer. Prayer is what brings it all together. When we are focused internally, then the whole world comes into focus. When the Jew is focused, the whole world comes into focus. If the Jew is not focused, then the world remains a mess, incoherent. Scattered. Chaotic. So where does the Jew get focused? Prayer. This is the place, this is the time and the place when the Jew focuses. And you become centered and focused. And when you are focused. And you create harmony within yourself, between your animal soul and your, and your godly soul. The whole world around you, everything you interact with, the food and the clothes and the home and your career and Everything everything comes into focus. You've elevated the sparks. Now the world becomes, now you hear the music. Instead of jarring, music, you see the beautiful world, a Ghanedin, beautiful picture. You see Hashem. You sense sends Hashem. So the Rebbe is saying, prayer is so critical to our life's mission. Without that, you have nothing. You have nothing. You can't begin to accomplish what we have to accomplish. So those communities that rush through the prayer where, where they finish before they start and it's a, it's a race. It's like the marathon. Who can, make, who can run the quickest? And who can finish the quickest? Some
0: million, Bring the whole show.
1: Right? This is essential, especially today. More so than in the times of the Talmud. Today we need that, we need a torch and today we need more time to focus because we, in the olden days, in one moment they were ready. They were able to focus and concentrate like a laser they didn't need. Today, t- till we, we have to give ourselves some time to be able to remove the distractions, to be able to focus, to connect, to achieve this, to feel that centeredness, to feel centered and to feel connected and to feel inspired and uplifted. You know, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, you know, the Rebbe quotes the previous Rebbe, that if there's no prayer, if we stop praying properly, everything in Judaism dries up. Our whole Yiddish guy dries up. Comes becomes very dry, cold, mechanical, soulless. And it just, it's not sustainable. And surely we can't accomplish our mission of elevating the sparks. You can't elevate the sparks unless we are a little elevated. (laughs) You yourself have to be elevated in order to elevate the sparks. You can't free someone else from prison unless you yourself are on the outside. If you yourself are in prison, how can you free someone else? How can you elevate the sparks, redeem them, release them from their imprisonment if you yourself are in prison together with them? You're just as coarse and crass, as unfocused and disconnected, as... So, prayer is where it all happens. That's why there was such an emphasis on prayer. The Baal Shem and, and the articulated this and made this such an essential part of Hasidism that you have to be centered and focused and connected. If you want to connect sparks, if you want to connect another Jew, how could you connect another Jew if, if we ourselves are not connected? If we are scattered and confused and superficial, how are we going to change, positively change, inspire, uplift, elevate our fellow Jew? The more focused we are, the more centered we are, the more connected we are, the more genuine we are, The more we've transformed ourselves and changed ourselves, we can change and inspire another Jew. Words from the heart enter the heart. But you can't take the consciousness out of the picture. Prayer is the consciousness. This whole world is based on consciousness. This is the truth. This is reality, consciousness. So if we are not praying, we are not conscious, if we are comatose, how can we wake up anyone else? (laughs) How are we going to wake someone else if we ourselves are asleep? How can we awaken the sparks if we ourselves are asleep? If we are awake, then we can awaken the sparks around us, awaken our fellow Jews around us. We change, they change, we all change. We all inspire each other, we change each other, we elevate each other, we grow together. But it has to be alive. And in prayer is when Judaism comes alive. When you learn Torah, you're learning a lot of information. It's new information, it's intellectual information. But you don't come alive. When do you come alive? You come alive in prayer. Because it's not the godly soul we're worried about. The godly soul is always alive. The godly soul is naturally alive. But we're talking about when will you become alive? Your natural self, your ego self, your all-to-human self. When will you come alive as a Jew? And wake up. That could only happen in prayer. And when we come alive... Everything around us. We can awaken everything around us. And connect everything everything around us. And everyone around us. So the Al-Tarepi is pleading with us. <laughs> Prayer has to be given the time and attention that it needs, deserves and needs. Prayer should be taken seriously. It's, 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 it's life-sustaining. It's, it's, our life depends on Our whole life's mission depends on It's not a detail, it's it's, it's critical.
0: By directing his eating and drinking to the holy goals of the divine soul, one refines and elevates the sparks found within the food and drink, and the man is affected and improved by his garments and his shelter and so on. The refinement of the sparks latent in all these physical things is affected by revealing one's innate love of God were in prayer. In our days prolonged prayer and meditation or thus a necessity. It was different however in earlier generations, when the divine souls were of a higher order, and the refinement and elevation of the sparks were instantaneous by means of creation alone, and the blessings preceding it, the abridged pasukai to and so on. These prayers alone then sufficed to reveal the just love of God and brought about the resulting of the
1: sparks. this will suffice for the discerning so in the olden days in the times of the first temple, there was no form formal prayer, even, the, even in the times of the second temple, prayer was much shorter than it is today because a they were greater souls they didn 't need that much time. they were ready in an instant the moment they put themselves in the mode of prayer, they were there, they were present, they were focused, they were centered, they were connected. So they didn't need to spend that much time praying. Today, with the lessening of the generations, we need...
0: uh, I mean, they uh, meditated for three hours, and then they prayed.
1: Very good, very good. The Hasidim. That was the special, special Hasidim, the early Hasidim in times of the Mishnah. Nine hours a day, three hours each prayer. And they tried to reach a level of prophecy. As prayer, they were trying to reach a level of prophecy. So there was more the loftier aspect of prayer. It was more almost like for the godly soul to reach a level of prophecy where you become completely like uh, egoless and you have be- a higher level of consciousness. So it was more the, the loftier aspect of prayer. But here he's talking about more the... Um, You know, prayer from the bottom up. The essence of prayer is really to work your way up. You know, it's like we find, what's the order of prayer? We find like two different orders of prayer. One time we find the order of prayer is the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. We start with the morning. On the other hand, we find halachically that the order of prayer is the evening, because the day starts with the evening. The Jewish day starts with the night. So the first prayer is actually the evening. That's the beginning of the prayer, the first of the, of the day. The evening, then the morning, then the, the afternoon. So much so, there's a whole discussion in the Talmud. Alhamdulillah. says, we know if a person missed a prayer, you can make up for it in the next prayer. Let's say by accident, you overslept, it wasn't your fault, or by accident you missed the morning prayer. So you can make up for it in the afternoon prayer, by praying two prayers. One for the afternoon prayer, and the second prayer is the make-up prayer for the one that you missed, the previous one. Or if you missed the evening prayer, so the next morning you do two prayers, one the morning prayer. The first one is the morning prayer. The second one is the makeup prayer. The Talmud says, What if I miss the afternoon prayer? Could I make it up in the evening with a second prayer? Because the day is over. It's done. You missed the sacrifice. It's too late. I can't. The day is over. I can no longer bring. And the conclusion is, You could. Because even though the day is over, the prayers asking Hashem for your needs and you, you can you can make up for it in the evening service you can pray two prayers. First prayer is the regular is the evening service, and the second prayer is the Mecca prayer. So we see clearly that the Talmud Halachically takes accepts the idea that the essence of prayer is that the evening prayer is the first prayer. Because the Jewish day starts with the evening, just like God created the world. First was evening, then was morning, and then was day. So it's the evening, Mayrib, shacharism. On the other hand, the Mishnah starts out with discussing the morning prayer before the evening prayer. So there's two orders for prayer, and that's another order Shachrism, Mincha, and then Because there's two aspects to prayer. There's one aspect of prayer which is When it comes to holiness in the temple, the day started in the morning. And then it went to the afternoon. The sacrifices started with the morning sacrifice. It ended with the afternoon sacrifice. And then the leftovers, they would burn all night. So the night was clearly a continuation of the day. Not like the creation of the world. The creation of the world started with the night. That was the beginning of the day. And it continued in the morning. In the temple, the exact opposite. The day started in the morning and it ended ended with the night. So the night is connected to the morning. <laughs> Versus in creation and the way we count the day, first the night is the beginning of the day. Shabbat, the holiday, starts with the night before. That's the beginning of the holidays, the beginning of the seventh day. So which one is it? And the answer is they're both right. They're both correct. It depends which point you're looking at. You're looking from the bottom up or from the top down? From a point of view of creation, first comes the darkness, and then comes the light. From God's point of view, from Hashem's point of view, from a point of view of holiness, you're talking about the temple, the service in the temple, holiness. You start with the light, and then you end end up with 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 the night. So there's two aspects of prayer. There's the godly soul, and there's the animal soul. So halakhically, the essence of prayer is dealing with the animal soul. When you deal with the animal soul, you're dealing with darkness. You're starting out with darkness. The animal soul is dark. The animal soul is egotistical and selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed. And it's unbudging and unmovable. and It's like a uh, harsh and it's like a piece of metal. It's not... And you have to put it into the fire, and you have to melt it, and you have to work with it to soften it up, to be able to reshape it, to mental it out. It's hard work. Take that raw hide of the animal and turn it into fine leather. So you start with darkness, and you're working your way towards the light. That's the essence of prayer. Because the purpose of prayer, as he explained here, is to reach the animal soul, to reach your ego self, to reach your natural self. But then there's another aspect of prayer. From the godly soul's perspective. The godly soul is, starts out with light. <laughs> the godly soul is godly. All it cares about is godliness. It's egoless. It's selfless. It's good. It's loving. It's kind. It's genuine. It's sincere. All the qualities, the wonderful qualities. That's its natural self. And the godly soul is trying to come even closer to Hashem. And become even more egoless. Hashem machod, you close your eyes, you're ready to sacrifice yourself Hashem and become one with Hashem. As the Hasidim, those early Hasidim, for nine hours, they tried to reach a level that was close to prophecy. When the prophet, in order to experience prophecy, as, 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 as Maimonides describes, he would reach a level where you have to completely go out of your self and and uh, become completely unselfconscious. And it was a, a prophetic experience. A very profound experience. Which is really a godly experience. Which is the godly soul. So the, most prophets would, fall asleep, would go like in a trance. They would completely silence their bodies. And they would have to go into a different level of existence. Into a level that's beyond themselves. So this really affects the godly soul. So that's why they focus nine hours a day trying to reach that prophetic experience, but that's more for the godly soul. But in, in terms of the animal soul, they didn't need much time. First of all, the animal soul was much more refined than it is today. The world was not as coarse and as crass and as dark as it is today. The godly souls are much more powerful than, than, than ours today. So in one split second, they were able to tune in and connect. And as it is, they were wearing their, their, their godliness uh, you know, on their sleeve. It was so self-evident and obvious. They didn't need much prompting. And the darkness wasn't so dark. So the, the sparks, they didn't need. It didn't take much to extract the sparks, to redeem the sparks. So the whole prayer was short. But as the darkness became darker and darker and the world became coarse and crass and arrogant to an extreme, which really means that the sparks that we're dealing with today are much holier, much more intense, much more powerful sparks. And that's why they were able to fall so low. So we need a torch today. That's why the prayer became long and and lengthy. And lengthy. So we need that torch to be able to separate, to take this harsh metal and to bend it and to smelt it and to be able to f- shape it and to change it. We need a powerful torch. So that's why the prayers are longer. And we have to focus and we have to concentrate. And we have to work much harder. So we have to, So to our day and age, as that is all right, this is already 500 years ago, that we have to, the main service of elevating the sparks is, in, is through prayer. How much more so when the Vah Shem Tov came along and made a whole emphasis on prayer and the Alter Rebbe, how much more so today that in order for us to accomplish our mission, we have to be focused and centered. And although who has the ability today to focus who has the ability today to concentrate <laughs> you know we have the attention span of a, i don't know it's down to what, what are we down to 10 seconds yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> <And that. laughs> but but something has to something has to stir inside of us something has to if we're just robotic if our whole Yiddishkeit is superficial and external and robotic, and if nothing changes, nothing shifts, how could we inspire another Jew? How could we change another Jew if we ourselves are not changing? If we ourselves are uninspired? You know, people don't listen to what you say, people watch what you do and watch how you live. What inspires them is not your fancy sermons and how articulate you are. It's the genuineness, it's the sincerity, it's the heartfelt, it's the warmth, it's the they see a movement, a change, they see you're changing and your Yiddish guide is alive and real. That's what inspires. It's a living, breathing faith, a real human being living a real life and it's a living, breathing faith that informs you and challenges you and changes you and inspires you and challenges you that's what inspires your fellow Jew otherwise it's just empty words you know there was a, a great teacher unbelievable teachers, talented the problem was he was a little of a heretic he, he was enlightened he was afflicted by the enlightenment and he stopped taking his Judaism too seriously. But he he auditioned for a job to be a teacher. A great rabbi who had who had first sons. And he tells the rabbi, don't worry, I know you're looking at me that you know I'm a little enlightened, I'm not exactly so religious. Don't don't, don't worry, that's me. But I'm gonna make sure that your kids are gonna be the best, the best Jews. <laughs> He was a talented teacher, brilliant teacher. So the rabbi said, that's exactly what I'm afraid of. That my children, they themselves are going to also be going to be enlightened. But they're going to make sure that their kids, <laughs> you can only give what you have. If your Yiddish guide is superficial, your effect and impact will also be very superficial. No matter how glib and how clever and how sophisticated, it's surface, it's skin deep. If you yourself, if your Yiddishkeit is heartfelt and deep and genuine, it transformed you, it changed you, it challenged you, and you internalized it and integrated it in a real way, that's the effect you're going to have on everyone around you. They will follow your example. Words from the heart enter the heart. But you can't fake it. Especially today. (laughs) In a world of ego and fake, what are you bringing to the table? They have bigger egos than you'll ever have and they're bigger fakers than you'll ever be. Hmm. The only thing you can bring to the table is genuineness. Because that doesn't exist in the world today. They don't even know what it looks like. But when they see a genuine Jew, a living faith, a breathing faith, a real relationship with Hashem, a Jew who's centered and focused and connected and alive and genuine and sincere and joyful and passionate, that's what grabs the attention of our fellow Jew. Because they want that energy. They seek out that energy. It doesn't exist out there. So the more prayer you have in your life, the more centered you are in your life, the more focused you are in your life, the more real you are, then you'll be able to accomplish your mission, to be able to elevate the sparks around us and elevate the Jews around us. But it all comes to prayer. Prayer is the moment of truth. If you take prayer out of the picture, if you take that genuineness out of the picture... It's like spineless. The whole building collapses. The whole edifice collapses. It's simply not sustainable.
0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.